Amen. So these parables, I entitled it this morning, The Treasure Hunter and the Merchant. These parables are similar. They're very short. Jesus paints them with only a few strokes of his verbal brush. Jesus encourages and assures people of faith so they will be strengthened, heartened, confident, and equipped for all service. So, how many of you guys are familiar with these parables? They're short. Okay, there's two, uh, these two twin parables, we'll call them, teach the same general lesson. Namely, that incomparable worth and the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. Yet, as with even identical twins, each are noticeably individual. You see, the twin truths here, that the costliness of a treasure or this pearl, and the light of the purchaser. Those are the two things that we see in both of these. Also, actually I want to share something from a guy by the name of Hendrik von Loon. He wrote this about the world. He said, ours is a fifth-rate planet revolving around a tenth-rate sun in a forgotten corner of the universe. I kind of like that. Because the reality is, I don't know if you guys get into the stars, but you consider how many planets, how many galaxies, and how many stars are within those galaxies. It's amazing. Who are we? We're like a speck on a speck of a speck of a speck like, <laughs> compared to it all. But guys, the reality, Jesus, he assures us that this world is the object of his concern. That's what makes us significant and different from every other planet. You see, it's the one which he purchased for the manifestation of his glory. So as we consider this hidden treasure in the treasure hunter, again, look at verse 44 with me. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys the field. So some definitions for us. Since Jesus doesn't give the interpretation, which he does with some parables, but he doesn't here, we have come up with many interpretations. We're going to go with the field this morning as being the world. Okay? The uh, habitable globe, his kingdom reign. Okay, the kingdom of God, we looked in depth a few weeks back. If you didn't catch that study, I'd highly encourage you to go online, uh, dig in. There's a lot there that really helps us understand the truth and the teaching of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is the saving reign of God. It is the saving reign of God that is partly present, but partly future and it is the present and the future saving reign of God and of Christ. So, we have this field, and we have this treasure that's found in the field. Who's the treasure? Well, the treasure, of course, would be those who are redeemed. The church, you and I, those who believe the gospel. So, the man, a man, the percher, percher here is Jesus. So the purpose of buying the field was to own the treasure. So the field was the world. You guys know that God so loved the world? Okay, our kids this morning, 
They're going through 40 authors. And these 40 authors are the ones who penned the 66 books of the Bible. So they're learning about the authors this morning. And the cool thing is, even though these guys, many of them didn't even know each other, and they lived over 1,500 years, the Bible, we put it into a, one book, one binding, but it's actually 66 books. These 40 guys, as they wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the message is perfect, and it all fits together. You can't do that with other religions. That's one of the reasons we know the Bible's true. <laughs> Why is there this harmonious you know, theme in all these books, and the theme is one thing, God reconciling man back to himself. In their memory verse this morning, which a lot of kids already know, is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the point of the Bible. Do you guys get that? And don't ever take that for granted. Don't become too familiar with it that you forget the power, <laughs> the message, the reality, the truth behind it. So God so loved the world, but not for the planet's sake. Do you guys understand that? It's not about planet Earth. okay? And it's not just for one nation. It's not just for the elite, the rich, the powerful. But he reached out to the unlovables, didn't he? Okay? Jesus touched lepers, okay, to people who detested him, Manasseh, to the ones that were too busy for him, like Matthew, the tax collector, to those who were too rich for God, Zacchaeus, even those who were working directly against God, a Saul. You see, for God so loved a sinful world. Think about that. A sinful world. Every race, rich and poor, powerful and powerless, male and female, democracies and dictators, Israel and Istanbul, you know, abusers, defenders, traffickers, the trafficked, you know, and yes, both Democrats and Republics, Republicans. And I'll even say it, even those who support Hillary and Trump, God so loved the world. Do you guys get it? It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, what you believe. God loves all. That is the point. Charles Wesley's hymn, I love it, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Should Die For Me. Jot down Romans 5.8. It's a scripture we need to know. God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Okay? It's not just a nice idea for us to come around and fellowship around and talk about once in a while. No. <laughs> God demonstrated. He actually loved us. And he proved it. So, the gospel is not what we can do for God, but what he does for us. There's many religions in the world. Every single religion except biblical Christianity. Okay? I'm not saying Christianity against the board, because a lot of boards fall into this religion of everyone else. If you read the Bible, if you grasp the gospel according to grace, 
God is Savior. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift. It can't be earned. There's nothing we can do to earn it, correct? But every religion, every other one, every single one is works-based, isn't it? It's kind of crazy when we think about Jesus saying like, hey, narrow is the path that leads to everlasting life, but broad is the way (laughs) that leads to destruction. Jesus made it very simple. God declared from the beginning that he alone is Savior. Are you going to believe him or not? Or are we going to take it upon ourselves and say, yeah, that's nice, but I'm going to do it. Even within the church today, people who, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also do all this stuff to make sure I'm saved. The Bible warns against that big time. You see, that's what I love. For God so loved the world that he gave, he did, he acted. He demonstrated that love towards us by dying upon that cross. R.C. Trench, he's an archbishop of Dublin, said the oriental custom of the day was that rich men would divide their goods into three parts. One would be put into commerce for support. What, sorry, one would be put into jewels, right? Easy to carry. And then one would be buried, kept safe, secure. Now, it's interesting three parables. We're looking at two, but there's one right after this, which you can go home later and read on your own. But these three together, there's a burying of a treasure, there's a jewel, and then the next parable, which we're not going to go through today, but it speaks of commerce with fishing. So it's kind of cool. Think about that. So a man plowing, digging a field. Who is this man? Well, it's not his field, correct? not his field. So maybe he was there uh, just as a peasant worker working for a wealthy landowner. But whoever he was, he seemed to turn, turn up a treasure. You know, maybe a treasure chest. Something of value there. So he found the treasure, but what did he do? Covered it back up, and he went back home, sold everything he had that he would be able to go and buy that field to be able to own that treasure. Have you guys ever found a treasure? Anyone? Anyone? Tim did. What'd you find? My wife. Yeah! <laughs> Boom! She's not even here. We're recording this. This is Tim Tall's <laughs> saying his wife. Right on. But out there somewhere, you know, maybe in an old attic or a garage, where'd you find your wife? At my sister's wedding. At your sister's wedding. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know, um, Pinterest is becoming popular. Maybe, whoo, that's awesome. Look what I found. I'm going to share it with the world. Um, I remember as a kid uh, collecting coins, okay? My parents had a big jar with a little neck on it. It took forever to get the coins that were out of it. But I, I forget where it was, but we got one of those blue books with the little pennies. Pennies worth nothing. They're a penny, right? But as a kid, man, that was my treasure, And I was going to find every single penny to fill that little blue book with all the little different dates and numbers and letters. And let me tell you what, took forever. Put it all over, looked through them all, hundreds and hundreds of pennies. But man, I was on a treasure hunt. And finding one, whoa, look at this one. You know, 1960, that was so long ago. (laughs) This must be worth a lot. (laughs) You're clueless as a kid. (laughs) 
But anyways, we treasure a lot of different things, okay? And it's, it's fun to get out there and to look for those things. A few weekends back, my family went down to uh, uh, Nina. Do you guys know where the, um, um, I forget what the Riverside, it's the, it's the park that has the big spaceship. The Rocket Park. Okay, we'll just call it the Rocket Park. Rocket Park. <laughs> you know? But I went out, they got, the, they got the lighthouse out on the corner there, and we went down there, and people, uh, it, was, it was nuts. There's this Pokemon thing going on, on people's cell phones, you know? And I, we got there, and it's just like, all these, it's just not kids. I mean, there were kids. I'm like, what are you guys doing with phones to begin with? <laughs> But everyone's walking around. It wasn't just a few people playing this game. Literally, they had built a camp out by the lighthouse. And there must have been close to 100 people just sitting there looking for these Pokemon treasures or whatever they end up being catching or whatever. But it's just like crazy, okay? And it wasn't just kids. Most of them were adults. I'm just like... This is your treasure. I'm not against people playing Pokemon. Have fun, you know? But the point is, it's silly the things we do treasure. You know what I'm saying? You're going to spend your whole day sitting at a park. And like, we had a blast. Me and Sonny and Shalom were sitting by the lake looking at <laughs> You know, like, this is beautiful. Beautiful spot. <laughs> Just enjoying a beautiful day. Um, but the things that we put out there as treasures to find. Some actually have worth, some aren't. Um, the greatest modern treasure that's been found was probably by the shepherd boy. You guys know the story. He was throwing a rock up into a cave in November of 1946, and he ended up finding what? Dead Sea Scrolls. Greatest find in modern history. This May, a treasure trove was found in ancient sunken cargo ship off of Israel. A couple of the divers of the ancient Israeli port of Caesarea brought up some uh, items that were uh, seabed, uh, leading to a discovery of bronze statues, coins, artifacts that went down on a cargo ship 1,600 years ago. That's pretty awesome. That was just this last May. Okay? And then just actually found um, 44 pounds of coins that actually... Uh, bore the image of Emperor Constantine on them. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff they found. Uh, just a few months ago, a priceless treasure was found off the coast of Florida, this side of the world, uh, in Cape Can uh, Canaveral. Uh, Global Marine Exploration uh, Incorporated found three ornate bronze cannons and a, mar a marble monument with a coat of arms of France um, in there from 1548. So treasures are still being found, which is really cool. We're told that this guy did what? He sold all he had. He found a treasure, and he wanted it. He was willing to give all he had for it. He parted with it. Um, but when we consider the kingdom of God, uh, we didn't buy our lives into the kingdom, did we? No. No. If people truly understood the kingdom of God, Truly the gift of eternal life. Heaven for all time with Jesus. <laughs> they would give up everything. And we have a hard time. Even as believers, we have a hard time, don't we? We still want to hold on to things of this world when we know what we've been given. It doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. 
I love Philippians 2, 7. It tells us that Christ, Jesus, God, he emptied himself. What does that mean when we read that scripture, that he actually emptied himself? He divested himself of his visible glory, didn't he? Only of the outward, the visible manifestations of the Godhead. God may change form, but he cannot cease to be God, correct? He's still God. He emptied himself. So when he was to return to the Father, what did he ask back for? Let's turn to John 17 together. I wasn't planning on going here, but this is exactly what he asked for when Jesus was about to go back. To the Father, to heaven. Look in John 17. We'll just read the first few verses, lay this out beautifully for us. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should have or give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So what did Jesus ask for? For his glory back. So when we read Philippians 2, when we read of him emptying himself, do you guys understand? He literally gave it all to become like you and I. Why? Because it had to be a human life to atone for our sins, to be a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Bulls and goats, lambs were no longer going to cut it. They never did. They were always pointing to the perfect sacrifice in Christ Jesus. That's one thing I love about the scriptures. One thing, all the prophecies that point to Christ, <laughs> but also all of their rules, their laws, their practices, even their sacrifices did. What? Point to Christ. It's beautiful. And also verse 3 there. You guys want to know what eternal life is? You want to know if you're really saved or not? It's not going to church. It's not being good people. <laughs> it's not giving money, getting baptized, getting confirmed. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. What you do see are scriptures like this. You will have eternal life by what? Knowing God. Do you know him? I don't care if you're religious. Do you know God? Well, I don't know how to know him. Well, he wants to know you. He's done everything possible to make that possible. You receive that gift of eternal life by faith. And he's the one that brings you into that relationship. It's beautiful. All we do is believe the gospel. We need to repent and say, yeah, I believe. I'm in. I want this. I want to go to heaven. I want to spend eternity with you because you love me. <laughs> you did this for me. I'm a treasure that you were willing to give up your glory. You're God Almighty. Okay? You're the creator of all things. 
You hold all these planets, universes in the palm of your hand. Really? And you're going to become like me on this planet that's a speck on a speck on a speck and then you're going to be a speck on that big <laughs> speck, you know? To do what? To do what you and I couldn't do. Otherwise, religion would work. You guys understand that? We could earn our way. We could do something. But the reality is it doesn't work. And that's why God speaks very clearly that those who practice these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is self-righteousness. And the Bible says that our self-righteousness is as filthy rags to him. God despises that. What he wants is that we are in relationship, that we know him. So, he became a beggar even though of himself and up to this point, he was rich. So Jesus emptied himself. So when the Lord purchased the world, was he looking down on another planet? No. He wanted the treasure which was buried in the world. He wanted you. He wanted you. Let's move on to the next parable. This is the merchant and his expensive pearl. Pearls have to be expensive because I don't have one. <laughs> Any of you girls have a pearl? A few of you? Are they really pricey? I didn't... Like, I know there's genuine ones that are just priceless. I'm looking at it. But, like, what is a normal... Like, if you walk into Kohl's, which we know they don't have high-end, but if you wanted to buy a pearl, how much is a pearl out of Kohl's? I didn't go price shopping this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyways, it'd be interesting to look at. But anyways, these expensive pearls, these are the ones that were going, like we're going to talk about, are the ones that are going from the Middle East, genuine quality, that go for tens of thousands of dollars. It's crazy. Um, it tells us here, talking about this valuable or even priceless pearl, verse 45 again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the former parable, a man discovered by accident a treasure in a field. But in this parable, a merchant man was seriously and deliberately looking for these flawless pearls. And it was the business of his life. So the treasure was found and the pearl was sought. See a difference there? Good. Now let's define this. The merchant being Jesus the pearl, again, the redeemed, the church, you, purchased by who? By Jesus Christ on Calvary, right? That's when we were bought at a price, a great price, his own life. So, the term used here, merchant, is pretty cool. Uh, it's the primary meaning of one who travels abroad by ship to acquire his wares. So he's diligently seeking, going out of his way to find these precious jewels. So he specifically was a wholesaler and distinguished from a retail dealer. It portrays Jesus then as one who was a connoisseur and knew all about pearls. So there are inferior pearls in that area of the world that would come out of the Red Sea. And there were better ones that would come out of the Persian Gulf or off India's coast. He had discernment and knowledge as to their real worth, and he could not be deceived by the, sh you know, 
uh, sham or scam um, production out there. So the merchant was a superior person who knew the value of the Jews. He's thoughtful, earnest, anxious, and even are after those best pearls or best things. So know this also. Pearls, um, in so far as their value uh, was known then, were specifically and practically for uh, just the use of adorning a king. Okay? That's all. Just kings would have pearls. Now, the merchant found me, us, his church, the redeemed out of his kingdom, and gave his all for us, and he bought us with a costly price. In the purchase, none of the ransomed will ever know all that is involved in the price that he paid to have his redeemed people as his pearl. We'll never understand. Okay? We can't compare it to anything. He emptied himself and became like his own creation. Well, yeah, that's kind of like us becoming an ant. No, it's not. <laughs> that doesn't even come close to God Almighty, creator of all things, becoming like his creation. Do you understand? Not even close. So we're never going to understand the cost of him laying down his own life for you and I. Though he was rich, yet he or yet to purchase us, he became poor, the scriptures tell us. So this heavenly merchant man had no money or possessions to barter for the pearl. He gave one's most precious possession, his own blood, his own life. There's nothing more anyone could ever give. Assuring our value, he paid the price and he never regretted his purchase. Did you guys hear that? He's never regretted his purchase. I love that. Purchase for you. For you. For God so loved the world. I know some good Christian people. I get to talk with a lot of people of a lot of different denominations being the chaplain director. And there's a mindset among certain denominations that God so loved the world. That means we're all in. We're all good because God, he loves us. He does love us. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says he loves us all, but that gift of eternal life needs to be appropriated individually by faith. Otherwise, it would be rape. I don't know why these Christians believe that. What, everybody gets to go to heaven because God just loves them all and died for them all? And he's going to force them to be with him for all eternity? He's going to force every single person to have relationship with him? That sounds like rape to me. And the Bible doesn't talk about it. <laughs> so it's one of those things where a lot of people think, hey, I'm just in. Because my understanding is it doesn't matter about anything. doesn't matter really what you believe doesn't really matter what you do. We all get to go because God so loved the world. No, God loved you. Period. You guys understand that? It's a personal thing. And we have to make it personal. Otherwise, we're going to be in where? You're going to find yourself in hell. It's not what I think. It's what the Bible says. 
And that's a truth we've got to drive home. I have to, people tell me all the time, I love talking about Jesus. You guys know that. People tell me, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, what do you really believe? You know, what, what is the gospel? You know, is it what you think or is it actually what God has said? That's what matters. You see, Jesus went out of his way for you, for me. However, Jesus knew all about the history of the pearl, where it came from, how it was formed, and how, uh, or what its real value was. I'm going to share a little bit of what I found in digging out some info on pearls. Again, I don't have one, so I didn't know a whole lot. But a pearl, it's a product of a living organism, right? Which is not true with other precious stones. So we see another difference between difference between these parables. It is the product of a result of an injury suffered by a living organism, an oyster, a mollusk, or Christ. It begins as nothing more than a foreign substance stuck in the shell of an oyster. Not usually sand. I always thought it was sand. It's not usually sand. It's usually a biological intruder a parasite organism, kind of like a drilling worm. Something crawls, gets in there, and that's what starts uh, the pearl to begin. Now, the foreign substance is pretty useless in itself, worthless by itself, and an irritant of itself. So are we outside of relationship with Christ, okay? So the oyster continually surrounds the irritant with a uh, crystalline substance called uh, nacre, which hardens over years, slowly and gradually, in the dark. Out of much suffering, an object of beauty is produced. Jesus' blood continually covers us over and over again, with a special nacre of glory, continuously secreting the nacre of his love all over us, all the way to heaven. So it causes us to be transformed. You guys understand that teaching in the scripture. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? He is sanctifying us, transforming us to be more Christ-like. So turning us into a glistening jewel of delight. And, this is really cool, the old dirty green is no longer recognizable. That's why I love when I see people come to Christ. And then they go and they begin to share their faith. And people that know them well are seeing things changing. What happened to you? You're not the same guy anymore. Well, Jesus happened. (laughs) That's what happened. But here's the cool thing, guys. Did you know that you can't even find, if you cut a pearl in half, you can't find that little piece of dirt or whatever. It's gone. Isn't that what Christ has done with us? He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Think about that for a second. It's gone. (laughs) It's gone. That's what our Lord has done for those who believe in him. So when Christ returns, his church will be ready as his pearl in purity as well as in beauty, as a fit gem in his imperial diadem. So once its home was in the depths of the sea, in the muck and the mire, in trying to avoid scavengers of the depths, now is brought up, valued, 
priceless, flawless. Let's turn to Revelation, last chapter. Well, chapter 21, verse 21. You guys ever wonder then if that's why every entrance into heaven, all the 12 gates into heaven are made of giant pearl? Have you guys ever thought about that? Check this verse out with me. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the streets in the city were pure gold like transparent glass. So this is where we get the phrase, pearly gates. Pretty cool, huh? Maybe it's to remind us every time that we see or we pass through them what Jesus suffered for us. The time of our preparation and the whole process of making beauty from ashes. Pretty cool to think about, huh? Again, I don't know all about what heaven's going to be like, but we get little glimpses from his word. And it's so cool when we really, okay, there's going to be pearly gates. What does that actually mean? Think about it. Christ is the only door to heaven. He makes that very clear. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's cool when you consider the context here and what we're talking about this morning, that all these gates, if he's the door to heaven, okay, all the gates of this capital city, all 12 of them, so they redeemed may come from all points of the compass, from every tribe, from every tongue. We desire a revolution. I don't know about you guys. I'd love to see revival. <laughs> I would love to see it. But maybe, thinking of the pearl, our Christian life is about a long, slow obedience in the same direction. That doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> but doesn't God desire obedience over sacrifice? That's what he says. A layer by layer of Christ's love wrapping around our lives. Thus we plot on with the same scriptures, the same truths, same worship, listening to the same Bible teacher. But maybe we can sing like we mean it. Maybe we can worship truly in spirit, in truth. Rejoice when the gospel is fully preached. Bear with those who hurt you. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Say hi to the teenager that nobody notices. Take a new couple out for coffee. And Zechariah 4.10 tells us, guys, do not despise the days of small things. So, Father, we are thankful. Even short little parables seem to have a lot in them. We are so thankful for the truth of your amazing love, how you have gone out of your way, emptied yourself because you love us. And you desire, Lord, to redeem us. And God, would you... By your spirit, open eyes of those who can't see and don't see. Lord, as your word goes forth and the truth of the gospel of eternal life 
of your sacrifices heard. Would people please, God, convict, convince them that they need you. I love the invitation that you've given us over and over again to seek you while you may be found, to earnestly seek you, that you would reward those who diligently seek you. And when they seek you with all of their heart, they're going to find you. You're right there. We know you are a God of love. You're not going to force yourself upon anybody. But you're going to love. And you showed that love. And it's easy to respond to that love. And it is easy in that slow, consistent obedience to find ourselves treasuring you more and more and more every day. Even to a point that nothing else in this life even comes close. We thank you that you are our God, that you are alive, Father, that you are our treasure. Help us, Father, to seek you like we never have before. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.